level up? Uh, how many of you played some Pac-Man, some old school uh, Pac-Man? You played some Asteroids, Donkey Kong? Yeah, now we're dating ourselves. How many of you have no idea who those people are? Little children in here. So anyway, uh, we judge you. Um, your young youthfulness. And so uh, we're in a series called Level Up because we believe that God wants your life to be kind of on an upward trajectory. We believe that God wants your life to level up, meaning that like God wants your life to be in a steady progression, moving forward, moving upward. And so how do we do that, though? And, and what we found is, is by looking at uh, Matthew chapter 25, this parable that Jesus teaches, that we discover a few things. As the parable goes, it breaks down real simply like this. I'm not going to read it because it's a, it's a lot of verses. I'll paraphrase it. It says that a wealthy man gave basically all of his wealth to three of his servants, and he went on a long trip. He said, but when I get back, I'm going to check in with you and see how you did, but I want you to go and do and make more. So one guy was given five talents or five bags of gold. One was given two, and the last one was given one, each according to their own abilities. And so then, you know, after a time, the guy eventually comes back, and he calls his servants to settle the accounts, and he says, hey, how did things go while I was gone? Did you do what I asked you to do? And the guy with five says, hey, boss, I made five more. And the guy says, well done, you good and faithful servant. The guy with two comes back and says, hey, boss, I, I did the best I could. I got two more. And the boss says, well done, you good and faithful servant. Then the, now the last guy comes along. He's only got one talent. And, and he says, well, he says, uh, see, what had happened was, and, 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 um, and basically he says, I was afraid. I didn't know what to do. So I just buried it in the, in the sand. I buried it in the ground. But here I brought back to you what was yours. And he is, he, now it's kind of rude. It's like, you wicked and lazy servant. That's what he called that guy. Wicked and lazy servant. And then he tells the other guy, he goes, hey, take that talent and go give it to the guy that has ten. And, and then that's how this whole parable, and this parable becomes a microcosm to me of the whole of life. That life has been given to us. That we've all been given a little bit of time and a little bit of talent. And we're supposed to leverage that time and talent for God's purposes. And so what we determined was is that before you can level up, you've got to figure out what it is that you're supposed to be doing. Because you could get to the end of your life and say, hey, look, God, I made a lot of money doing this. And he's like, yeah, but I never wanted you to do that. I told you to go do this. And so success really is not the, usually the way we look at it. Because normally in America in the 21st century, we're looking at success as how much power you have, how much authority you have, how much title you have, how much money you have, how big or cool your toys are. That that, if you have all those things, then we look back and say, wow, you're really, really successful. And that's not the way God judges success. But rather, success is the fulfillment of the plan or purpose that He gave you. That if we miss that, we kind of miss everything. Last week we talked about how once we figure out what that is, that there's three elements that converge. When these three elements converge, all of a sudden you just, you just have success. One of them is, is simply this. It, it is the talent that you've been given. How many know we're all created a little different, a little unique, and we all have different talents, but you have a talent level. You also have time and timing. How many of you got to choose when you were born, where you were born, to whom you were born to? You get to choose none of that stuff. And some of you were like, I could change some of that stuff. You didn't get to choose your talent. You didn't get to choose your time and your timing. And the third element that converges, which we're going to talk about today, is how do you actually maximize the potential that you've been given? Because you got time, right? you got talent, which means you have the potential to do something great. And that's what these guys did in the parable, didn't they? A guy with five talents somehow doubled it. 
and made five more. How do you do that? How, what, what did that guy do to get from five to five? That's the real, isn't that the, like, the thing you really want to know that they don't tell you? How did the guy that had two double and get two more? Because I want to be that. How many want to be the five guy and gets five more? How many, how many want to get to the end of your life and have God say, hey, well done, you good and faithful servant? And the opposite is true. How much want to be the one guy? I said, well, look, God, I got the one that you gave me. I didn't do anything with it. I didn't multiply it. I didn't double it. Nothing really good came of it. But, I mean, I, I got it. Nobody wants to be that guy. So how do we one-up? How do we double our talent? How do we maximize our potential? That's what we're really going to land on today. So let's bow our heads and pray as we begin. God, we pray that you would lead us into a new thought, a new principle, a new scripture, a new idea. God, that you would change who we are from the inside out, that you would change the way we think, that you would begin to change, God, the actions and the steps that we take. God, we desire, there's a show of hands, God, we desire to be a people who are constantly moving up and in your direction. We are a people who desire, God, that that we want not just your life, we want your abundant life. That, God, we want to succeed in whatever it is that you have called us to do, God. We are those people, so help us today, Lord. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said... Amen. So today, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to move a little fast. I have five very, very specific things that I think are maybe the most crucial things that you need to know that I see in Scripture, that I see in life, that if you will think about these five things, do these five things, rearrange your life in these five areas, I think you're going to see an incredible difference in your life. These are the five things that I want you to do, or I think the Bible kind of leads us to do if you really want to level up in life. Everybody say there's a level. Now, I'm going to talk about things in terms of level today. The whole series is called Level Up. And so, how many of you know, like, you kind of live on a level, right? I don't know if you know this, like, life is lived on a level. You ever look at people and be like, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of here, right? You kind of live, meaning a level is the plane of existence that you live on. Not only is there a plane of existence, you know, th- let's not kid ourselves that that plane of existence didn't come from anywhere, but that plane of existence is inward, Right? It's something on the inside of our heart, on the inside of our mind that gets us stuck or kept at that level. So it's rooted inwardly and it's displayed outwardly. Not only that, is that life, although it's built in levels and categories, it it, it also has categories, right? Like, there are some people in life who have like, like, there's like a financial level, right? You ever look at your life like that, like, here's where I'm at financially, here's the level that I'm at. But here's the level that I want to get to. So there's a financial category or level of life. And how many know, like, some people, some, some people stuck. That, like, that, that's, a, that's a level you don't want to be in. Like, like, when your checks bounce more than basketballs do, that's a level. Right? When you keep living paycheck to paycheck and can't break through, when, when your debt is, is just so... When you avoid the phone calls because the creditors, that's a level. And that's a level you don't want to be on. Not only is there a financial level, but there's also a relational level, right? You, you know this because you, you ever met people, and sometimes people tell me this, like, why, this is ladies, why do I always seem to date guys like that? Th- that's a level, right? Like, if you keep, mo- like, well, well, husband number seven, you know, if, if that's our conversation, that's a level. You stuck somewhere that you don't want to be. And how many know that's a frustrating place to be in life is when you're at a level of life where you're like, why does it always keep going this way? Why, does it that I, why is it that I seem like I can't break through? 
Why do I keep having the same dysfunction? So not only is there a financial level, a relationship level, there's a professional level. You ever feel stuck at work? Like, I, like the corporate ladder is broken. Like they got, they got that shield over it where I can't grab the rungs. I'm, I'm just, I can't get up any higher. Like, but when, when you keep getting fired and you can't get along with employees and other people and other co-workers, like that's a level and you're stuck at it. Now again, that, that's just the level that we're at. Like, lastly, here's, here's a thought. There's a spiritual level. Right? You, you ever felt like, man, I'm just stuck. I keep repeating the same dumb sins over and over. I keep repenting for the same stuff over and over. Why do I feel like my prayer life is all... How many of you, there, there's a level. Everybody say, there's a level. There's a level. And sometimes you're stuck. And sometimes you can be doing pretty good in one and be doing awful in another, right? And so how do you break through these levels? Because we can all admit that sometimes in life, we can just, we're just kind of here. And I don't want to be here anymore. God wants us to elevate. And how do we do that? And number one is this. This is what we're going to talk about, these five things. The first thing, and it's one of the trickiest ones of all the five that we'll talk about today. And it's number one is this. It is your ability to contextualize information. You're like, Todd, that doesn't sound very spiritual. I promise, it's incredibly spiritual. Your ability to contextualize information. Let, let, me, let me just let me put it in, in, in terms of in the way I talk to people. Have you ever gotten to a situation, I do this with parents sometimes, they'll be talking about their kids, and their kids are in a level, and your parenting's at a level, and, and you'll, you'll say these words, you're like, I have done all that I know how to do. You ever had those thoughts, all those words? You're exasperated. You're like... I don't know, I don't know what's going on. Like financially, I just, we, I, I don't know what else to do. We're, we're there with our, with our marriage maybe. Uh, it's like, I, I, it, it just is the same old, same old, nothing ever changes, and I've done all that I know how to do. Whenever you reach the point where you have done all that you know how to do, what should you do? You better go find some new knowledge, some new information, right? Because if you've done all that you know how to do, then you need to go figure out some more knowledge. And here's the thing that we run into as human beings. James talks about this. James says, don't be hearers of the word and not doers. Because you'll deceive yourself. Because you'll sit in church or sit in, in like, because what you're doing is you're absorbing knowledge but never actually seeing any change in your life. You're absorbing knowledge, but never applying it. You're absorbing knowledge, but you're never actually seeing any fruit come out of your life. And it's because you don't have the ability to contextualize that information. Meaning like, how do you directly apply it to your life? Let me tell you what Solomon said. Solomon says it so clearly. Proverbs chapter 4 says this. The beginning of wisdom is... I love it when they put it out so plain, don't they? I'm a simple guy. So sometimes I need it in simple terms. Hey, this is the beginning of wisdom. You ready? Get wisdom. That, that, that's it? Yeah, that's it. There's nothing deeper? That's deep. Some of y'all can't get that deep. That, that's why we're stuck on a level. But he says this is the beginning. Like, go get some wisdom. And I think the key might be, everybody say get. Like, go get some. Because when you get to the, the end of your rope and you get to the end of your mind and you feel like I've done all that I know how to do, then you need to go figure out some more things to go do. You need to add some knowledge, add some wisdom. Look at what else he says. Like, go get something new. Go get some more wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get what? Understanding. Like, not just knowledge in, 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 the, in the informational, factual sense. Have you ever done this? Sometimes people like this can be annoying. They're so full of information and facts that they're awful in a conversation, 
Because they always correct you. Like, it's whom, not who. I'm like, I don't care. And, or they're like, actually, it was this right here. Actually, it was this. And they want to correct you about everything because they're full of, of knowledge. Knowledge alone will not help you. Wisdom. Understanding. This is the ability to take new information and new knowledge and then contextualize it. Meaning like, contextualize meaning like this. Apply it specifically to your situation and how it would work for you. I remember the first time I ever saw this, I was a young man. I was hanging out with my pastor, who is a brilliant guy. I still love him and still consider him a pastor and mentor. And we're hanging out on a golf course. And we're talking to a guy who was a manager for a certain retail store. And the guy starts explaining to Marcus. Marcus is asking him, how's your job? How's work? What's going on? And the guy just kind of flippantly, randomly begins to explain to him how this retail place, this, this sales place, how it organizes its employees and how it organizes its management structure. To which I thought was boring, and I didn't care, and I was thinking about going and hitting my next shot. And But I watched my pastor, and he was sat there, and you could tell like, like little, little wheels were turning. There was a hamster on that wheel. There were cobwebs on mine. But his little hamster was turning, his little wheels were turning, and he goes, huh, Todd, let's think about this real quick. How would that work for us if we began to do this? And he began in the moment. To take somebody else's information, something that had been successful for them, and said, are there any truths, are there any principles, is there any of this information that we could apply directly to how we lead, how we structure our organization, our office, our team, that could... And I'm like, God, how did he do that? And you would think that that is so simple. But the more and more I talk to people, I find that the majority of people actually don't have that skill, the ability to contextualize information. Here's what I would go to guess, is that many of you who come to church, you come uh, week after week, or, or you have some type of rotation of how many weeks you're here, and you get knowledge, or you read books and you get knowledge, or you hear other people and you get knowledge, but our ability to actually contextualize it is where we begin to take that knowledge and make it into something that we actually understand and apply it through wisdom. And so your ability to contextualize Uh, information is so huge, and I'll sum it up like this. Successful people are constantly absorbing new information and intentionally trying to apply it to their lives. That way you don't, because I don't want you stuck. Remember we talked about we're sometimes stuck at a level. I've done all that I know how to do. You're just saying I'm stuck. How do you get unstuck? Your ability to contextualize information. I promise it's it's deep. Number two is this. I'm going to try to, like I said, move quickly. It's the principles and standards that you live by. All right, y'all are. Y'all are quite up here in this Methodist church here, y'all are. Are y'all tracking? Is this like mentally or are y'all, y'all checked out on me? Are you tracking? Everybody say, I'm tracking. I need to know that you're with me here. I don't know if you're thinking too hard or you're bored. So the principles and standards that you live by. This is, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible actually is rich and full of principles. So like all throughout Scripture, uh, there, there's just, you just read and all of a sudden you're like, boom, here's a thought, here's a principle, here's a thought, here's a principle. Like, sometimes they're obvious, sometimes they're kind of unstated, but they're there in the mix. Sometimes they're kind of shown within the story and the narrative of a, of a Bible character and what they did. So, like, there's all, all the, like, like, I'll just throw out a few, like, number one is, like, like, the principle of freedom. Like, this is a principle that you find in Scripture that you are most free when you are under the authority of God. Which is counterintuitive, isn't it? Like, you would think, well, I'm never free when I'm under. Actually, you're most free when you're under. Let me, I'll prove it to you. The person who lives outside of the authority of God and says something along the lines of, I'll do what I want, when I want, with who I want, however I want, do they end up actually free? 
No, you end up bound to something. You end up mastered by something. Like living underneath God's authority is actually where you find the most amount of freedom. Because I'm not bound to anyone or anything. I'm not addicted to anything. I'm not mastered by anything. There's nothing that's controlling me emotionally. I, that just blew somebody's mind. So anyway, the, the principle of free, it's just a principle. And I, again, I could lace it through a, a bunch of different scriptures. Like I said, there's some that are more obvious. We talked about this one earlier today. Raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when they are older, they will not depart from it. What's the principle? The principle is that the way you raise your children will directly affect their future. Isn't that the principle? Like, here's another one. This is, this is key for your dating. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship is righteousness with unlawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? What's the principle? Who you hitch your life to affects the direction that your life is going. This is that simple. The people that are closest to you, like if I, if I looked at your, your, your favorites list on your phone and I said, who are the people you talk to the most? I can tell the direction of your life. It's just, it's just that simple. So, so when we date... The principle would be this. I don't date people who don't share the same love for God and honor for God that I do. I, I don't do that because if I do, it's going to lead me astray and I'm going to be... St- this is why we're like, why do I date the same guy? Because you avoid the principles. You don't live underneath the principles. And so, listen, to the principle... Like, there, like, I'll tell you one that worked in my life. My, my wife and I, uh, when we were first married... We were really set and well off financially in terms of like we didn't have debt and, uh, you know, college stuff and this and that and the other. We, we started off mostly debt free. And, and when we started off, we, ended up, you know, had a credit card and, and we would spend and do and live life. And we found that every month it seemed to be that we had about $1,000 on our credit card. And then we'd pay it off and then we'd do and go and go. And then like, oh, we end up with it. That's a, another 1000 And it was like, and eventually after about six months of this, I'm slow, um, about six months I'm like, what? Actually, it wasn't even me. That's how slow I am. It was my wife that said, like, hey, why are, we, why are we doing this? What do we need to do? What do we need to do differently? Again, this goes back to your ability to contextualize information or your ability to apply principles and standards. So we learned the principle of stewardship. Like, the principle of stewardship is this. I'm the owner of nothing and the steward or manager of everything. And every manager gives an account. And because in my finances... I had no idea where my money was going and when it was going and how much was going here, there, or wherever. I was a very, very bad accountant or manager. But it ain't mine, right? And when I become the manager of everything that God has given me and I begin to give an account for all that God's given me, then I need to have a budget and I need to know what's going. And so we just learned that actually when we started putting a budget together, we were out of balance in one or two areas that kind of kept us over our financial limitations, and just by making those adjustments, we got out of debt and stayed 100% debt-free and, and, and just kind of tried our best to live that way because we were the owners of nothing and the stewards of everything. So it's like this, our ability to take... Now, what we did was this, is we took a principle of management and budget. We took a principle of avoiding debt, and we said, this is going to be the new standard. We're not going to spend more than this much in this arena. I know another guy that did this. If, if you remember my old friend, Pastor Aaron Grijalva, he worked here for years with me. And talked to him on the phone this weekend and had a great conversation with him. And um, he, he looks fantastic. If you don't know his story, he weighed, I think, about 315 pounds, decided to get healthy and lose weight. He got down to his goal weight or set weight, which was like 180, 90 pounds or something like that. And so I mean, that's, that's, a lot, that's a lot of weight, right? Like that's, a, that's an entire uh, boy band member that <laughs> you just shred right off your body. And so, um, so anyway, you know, but, but here's the thing. If you, if you actually really know the details of his story, he was tricked into getting a trainer. His wife, like, set him up. <laughs> I don't know that you should do that. Uh, and he, and he, he listened to me, listen to me. He begrudgingly lost 100 pounds. 
Like, it wasn't like, I got this goal and I'm dedicated. No, he begrudgingly did it. He's like, man, I don't like this. But what he did was this, is he set a new standard in his life. And so he got with a trainer that said, hey, you're going to have to cut out this, 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 and this. And all I want you to do is work out three days a week doing this, this, and this. And this became the new, everybody say standard. So, like, literally, it's almost like setting a goal or a standard. For us, it was a financial goal that we wouldn't spend more than this. For Aaron, it was a, it was a, it was a dietary and workout goal that said, I'm going to not do this and I'm going to do this. And here's what happens when you set the right goals based on the right principles. Is that literally, you don't even have to like it. And your standards will lift you up to a new level. You can begrudgingly get to another level if you'll set the right standard in your life. The principles and standards that you live by are huge. Number three is this, uh, the, the, the direction of your thoughts and energy. I'm telling you, there's something about this. The Bible is so rich, particularly like the New Testament. Paul talks about this a lot. Like how you manage your thoughts is the key to life. The key to your happiness, the key to joy. Like he he says this, Paul says in Corinthians, he goes, hey, just so you know, there's like a battle being waged and it's in your mind. Not only that, like you need to learn during that battle, like to capture thoughts. He says later in Romans 12, you need to renew, constantly be renewing your mind, meaning like ripping out the old that doesn't belong there and putting in the new that does. He says something later in Philippians where he, he says this, he goes, have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, and he explains what that means. I mean, like constantly saying, like, may, like, watch the direction of your thoughts. Because there is a unique difference between how failure or how victim mentality people think and how successful people think. There's just a unique difference. I'll give you, I'll throw out a few here. Here's just... There's small thinking versus like big picture thinking. Some people are only so focused on the here and now and what's right in front of them that it paralyzes them for their future. Like you've got to do a little bit of both. Like think big, think long term. Don't think about purely in the here and now. People that do that live based by their urges and their cravings. And they're stuck on a level because they're not looking at the big picture. Number two is this is, uh, again, scattered thinking versus focused thinking. Like some people, like you can't get them to lock down and do any one thing. I'm telling you, there's there's something power to focus. Finding out what God has gifted and called you to do and focusing your energy there. Because you cannot do everything. I think with God's help, you can do anything. You cannot do everything. At some point, there's got to be some focus. Random thinking versus strategic thinking. Keep going. Let's Problem thinking versus solution thinking. These people frustrate me sometimes. They're the type of people that can see the problem in any situation. They're, they're a joy, aren't they? And so, they, but, I'm sorry if that's you. I love you. We're just not doing Christmas together. So, um, but, but have you ever seen that? Like, they're, they're always seeing the negative. Always see the problem. Always seeing what's not right or what is wrong or what well, you should do that better or you could have done this instead. Or you, and it's like, but there's other people, and you can see this definitely in, in, in a professional environment. If you're an employee and all you do is point out what's bad, you're not helpful to your organization. That when you come to your boss, I don't want you to point out the three things you don't like. I want you to bring three solutions for what could be better. Does that make sense? You become a valued employee when you do that. Let's keep going. Selfish thinking versus unselfish thinking. I, I could keep going here. The last one here is this wishful thinking versus realistic thinking. This is a huge one too. I find people that, that live in the world of one day and someday. They're daydreamers. And there's nothing wrong with dreaming. I want you to have a dream in your heart. But sometimes daydreamers live in the day of one day and someday. And you forget that you actually live on Monday. And you need to get to work on Monday. 
And living in someday and one day with wonderful wishful thinking is actually not going to get you to where God wants to get you. At some point, you have to have some realistic thinking mixed with your dream. And so anyway, these are just some thoughts on how you should look at and how you should begin to think about, you know, what you do. I'll I'll wrap it up like this. Successful people work at managing their thoughts in a positive direction. This is why the Apostle Paul says whatever is true, whatever is trustworthy, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever... Think on these things. They manage their thoughts in a godly and positive way. I hope this is good for somebody. Um, Number four is this. Uh, This is a unique one. Your ability to cover your weaknesses. Your ability to cover your weaknesses. I'm telling you, there's nothing that will derail you faster in life than when you have a crack in your character and something in your character derails you. Because having cracks in your character will derail you professionally and it will derail you in every relationship. Having cracked into your care, I'm telling you, so, so there's this old mythological story, I don't know if you remember the story of Achilles, remember this story? That he was dipped in the river Styx by his mother when he was like a baby, which is, that's like a weird thought. Who takes their baby and like sticks them upside down in the water? We'd call, we'd call child services if we saw that today. But by the hand that she was holding him in, that part of his body was his Achilles, and then he became this great, this is all mythology, this is not real. But, uh you know, he's this incredible warrior. As a matter of fact, you know what the biblical version of it is? Samson is, is likened to a biblical version. A person who lived and had incredible power, incredible gifts, incredible strength, incredible abilities, but he had a weakness. What was his weakness? What well, was kind of his hair? His weakness was really not his hair. His weakness was that he had a lack of self-control. That's what cost him his life. And so... Every one of us, because we're born human and we're born into a sinful environment and we have sometimes dysfunctional family or parents or just the environments that we've been in or foolish decisions. How many know we're just surrounded by sin? And so you automatically have weaknesses in your life. I want you to know that. And, and, And I don't want you to just accept them. I want you to become aware of them, though. Because the Bible says something really about your weaknesses that's interesting. It's Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Apostle Paul talks about something that he was dealing with and struggling with, and he wraps it up with a statement. He says that Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Which sounds confusing. That's almost like Yoda talk. Hmm, there is no try. There's only do. You know, it's like, what, do you, what does that mean? My strength is made perfect in weakness. Like, what, what, does that, what does that mean? And then he, 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 I think he kind of wraps it up. He goes, Therefore... Most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here's what Paul is actually saying. He's saying that God gets the most out of my weaknesses when I give my weaknesses to Him. Meaning like, if you really... This is, this is the coolest part of it. The way that you cover your weaknesses is to expose them. There's nothing worse than hidden sin. It kills you from the inside out. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You have hidden sin. You have stuff that you don't want anybody to know about. Stuff that's deep buried in the closet. Locked away. It's dark. And Paul said that's not the way to live life. Actually, the best way to live life is that Christ is made strong in your weaknesses. That, that literally you expose your weaknesses. Think, think about it like this. If you have a weakness in your life, the best, way, the best thing that you can do is confess it and give it to God. Say, so God, I want you to know that I have this weakness in my life and I need your strength and I need your help so that you can be glorified in me. And that's the way we do it. We confess it and we give it to God. And we also do that with our brothers and sisters too, like people that we love, people that are close to us. Like the, the, one of the best things you can do if you have a weakness in your life is confess it and give it to someone that loves you 
that can hold you accountable, that can, can support you, that can believe in you, that can pray for you. There's nothing better than having a support system around you to cover. Hey, if, 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 this is true in a professional sense. How many know, like, in your work and in your job, you're not great at everything, right? You're great at some things. You're not great at everything. One of the best things, like, if you're a manager or a business owner out there, you have weaknesses as a leader and a manager. You do. You're not, you're not the perfect manager, right? I mean, I, I'm certainly not. And so one of the best things that you can do as an owner, as a manager, is somebody, if you have people underneath you, just be open about your weakness. Hey, I want you to know, hey, I, I'm not good at this. Th- th- this area is not really strong for me. This is not my strength. And I want you guys to be aware of it. And if I ever make a mistake in this area, it's not personal. I didn't mean to. And you know what? The other way to do it is to, is to actually ask people around you to hold you accountable or to help you or to, to delegate. That's another great way to do it. If you stink at something, delegate it to somebody who is good at it. Does that make sense? And by doing it, they're covering you. I'm telling you, this is just a life principle. How do you cover your... I'm telling you, there's nothing worse than secret sin. It will kill you. It will derail you. Those cracks in the character, I'm there, they're going to hurt you. As a matter of fact, when you think about the Great Wall of China, do you know that the Great Wall of China during its existence as an actual military fortification, that it was never once breached through force of power? Like, no army ever got over that thing. But people got through it. And they got through it because somehow they bribed one of the soldiers and got in through one of the inlets. Like they never got in through force of power. They got in because they found a crack in the moral character of that wall. And your life is no different. And so your ability to cover your weaknesses, what I want you to do is this. I want you to confess. I wrap it up like this. Successful people are aware of their weaknesses and take the proper steps to make sure those weaknesses do not derail them. They give them to God. They confess them. They entrust them to their brothers and sisters in Christ. They get other people around them in life to help them and to support them. You've got to cover those weaknesses. Number five is this, and we'll wrap up here. Number five is this. It's the relationships that you value. The relationships that you value. Solomon said it so brilliantly. I'm not going to try to say it any better. He said this. He who walks with wise men will be wise. That's good, isn't it? He, you'll be wise. And the companion of fools will be destroyed. Let's leave that here for a second. Because what he's saying is this. He's saying wisdom is a little bit like osmosis. It's contagious. And I believe that because I've always found that as I am around other wise people, I'm gleaning from them. Sometimes I'm picking up on stuff subconsciously. I'm not even fully aware of it. Sometimes I just begin to mimic and model their behavior. I learn things from them. I'm absorbing things from them. And he says, if you walk with wise people... You're going to, uh, so, so here's, here's, the, here's a thought for you. If you're the smartest person that you know, you're in trouble. If you're the wisest person that you hang out with, you're in trouble. <laughs> you, better, you need to get around some other wise people and be absorbing from them. And I've done this throughout my life, especially like in the role of marriage. I, I, I got around, because so, my dad was a great dad, but you know, he, he probably wasn't the model husband. In, in, in terms of maybe how he treated my mom. And, I, and, and he wasn't a bad husband, but there were certain things that maybe I just never saw. And all of a sudden, as, as an adult, I start hanging around these godly men. And I watched how they treated their wives. And something just snapped in my head. Something just clicked. And I thought, oh, that's what that means. Serve your wife. God, I never even, I'd never seen that before, really. Not, not, not like contextualized. Not lived out. I mean, in theory, it sounds fantastic, but like, what, what, what do you do when you actually see servanthood inside of it? I'm like, that's, that's what that means now. And I just picked up on it. It was just something I gleaned. And so he says, if you walk with wise people, you will become wise. But the opposite is not true. You would think, because the opposite would be this. If you walk with dumb people, you get dumber, right? Actually, it's not true. He says it's, it's different. He goes, actually, the companion of fools is destroyed. 
Meaning it's not that you get dumber, it's that you begin to reap the chaos that is in their life. That their life and all their junk and all their garbage kind of spills over into you. Let me put it like this. Have you ever gotten in trouble for being in the wrong place with the wrong person? You didn't get dumber, you just got in trouble. Can I get a, what, what? Okay, good. Um, he who walks with the wise will become wise. And so I, I, I just dare say, even, even in a professional sense, if you're a young man or a young woman, you say, hey, I want to go have a career in this or go be this. I would tell you this. Go find and go get around the smartest that that you can possibly find. And say, hey, I just want to learn what you got to say. I want to figure it out. I want to watch you. I want to see. I want to glean. I want to absorb everything I can from you. In every arena of life, this is true, that the people that you hang out with, I'll sum it like this, successful people, Seek out wise counsel and allow their wisdom to guide their attitudes and decisions. Simply by being around wise people, I promise you, they're going to grab you and they're going to lift you up. I'm telling you, when you, when, you, when you learn how to expose your weaknesses and give them to God, all of a sudden those things aren't going to derail you. When, when you change the direction of your thoughts, I'm telling you, your thoughts alone will just begin to pull you in that upward trajectory. For some of you, you need to set a new standard. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to date this anymore. I'm not going to go to these places anymore. I'm going to constantly do these things with my wife. I mean, like, you, you notice you got to, you know, one thing you have to do through all this is you have to contextualize this information. Like that God has given you a new thought, a new principle, a new revelation, a new direction to go. You've got to contextualize it now. God, what is it that you're trying to do in me? How does that directly apply to my life, to my situation, to my season, to, to my age and who I'm with or where I'm going or what I think my next steps are? What would you say to me? Because here's what I want you to know. You're on a level. But God wants you to level up. You're here sometimes. And some of you, you're doing great in a few areas, but there's an area of your life and it's just, you, you know it's hard. It's burdensome on you. And you need to break through that level. And you're sitting there saying, but I've done all that I know how to do and I'm not sure what to do. I'm telling you. You, and and let, me, let me help you out and as I close with this. This right here is a life message. This message is something that I think about and go back to at least once a year. This is not a message that is on a one-time Sunday morning and like, oh, that was good. And go on about your day. This is a message that you meditate on, you think about, and you revisit annually to say, where am I at? Where's my life level? Where, where am I at in these areas of life? And God, how do you want me to level up? And how do I go about doing that? And I promise you this. If you took these five things and began to apply them to your life on a regular basis, your life would be on a constant upward trajectory, which is what God wants for your life. Let's pray this morning. If you would bow your heads, close your eyes. Dear God, I pray that you would teach us something new. That you would show up strong in our life. That you would be the grace that is sufficient. God, to cover our weaknesses, to help us make the next step, to God, to raise the standard in our life of what we're doing or what we're living. God, I pray that you would, God, just give us that gift, that ability to, to apply. The ability to take your words and apply them right to where we are. God, give us that, that ability. Give us that gift, Lord. God, help us to constantly live a life that is leveling up and elevating towards you. God, without you, this is all in vain. Without you, this is, this is, this is self-help garbage. God, we need you. We need you. Our life wants to elevate towards you. So God, be in our midst. Be in our life, God, helping us draw closer and closer to you 
and the purpose that you have for our life. God, that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. 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 Can we give a little big hand clap this morning?